about, uh, Philip was suddenly taken away and he was found in the Zotus, 20 miles away. He just, just suddenly took away and turned up 20 miles away. And I'm thinking, isn't that wonderful how he just disappeared and he just, 20 miles away, there he was, in a, in a different location. Isn't that wonderful? If God can do it then, I'm sure he can do it now. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you a little story. <clears throat> Not exactly true, but uh, there was one friend saying to another, do you know, I had an amazing supernatural experience last week. And the friend said, well, what was that? And he said, well, we went to the um, to Glastonbury, Glastonbury week, and the last day was a really big party. And I went to the Portaloo, and I fell asleep there. <laughs> and the next morning I woke up, and I was at the Chelsea Flower Show. <laughs> that, that wasn't true. But I will tell you one that is true. And a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church told me this um, a year or two ago. That this really is a true story. There was a guy who was absolutely convinced that God had called him to go and preach the gospel in a third world country. And that somebody he didn't know had bought a ticket for him for a specific light on a specific day. So he turned up at the airport and he went to the um, information desk and said, is there a ticket for me? My name's so-and-so. And they looked through the tickets and they said no there's no one for you and he was really surprised he said are you sure can you check again so he checked again uh, and there was no ticket at all this really confused him because he was convinced that God wanted him to go so he just he, he went to the gents and just found a quiet cubicle for him to sit down and and just take stock with his suitcase in his hand so he went there he just wanted a quiet place to pray which he did he opened the door from the cubicle and he was in that third world country. Isn't that wonderful? Can't wait to be there. <laughs> anyway, that's not what I'm going to talk to you about now. It's translocation, that's called. I don't want to talk to you about translocation, but what I do want to talk to you about is what actually Fiona's been reading it all about us, all, to us all about in that chapter, which is about how to share our faith. And we could do a Bible study, quite simply, on that chapter about the instructions that we have about how to share our faith. About, first of all, the necessity to hear God, the Spirit said to Philip. And then how we need to immediately obey. If we hear God and we think God has uh, spoken to us to do something, we immediately obey. And then we would learn how God has actually been working uh, before we even get there, God's already actually lining the situation up for us as he did with the Ethiopian on that way back from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then also how we can meet a person at the, their point of need. Do you understand what you're reading in Isaiah? Well, no, I don't. How can I understand it? There's no one to teach me. So we, Philip met the guy exactly where he was. And how when we've taken one opportunity to share the gospel like that very soon God will open up another and another and another and another and we will find that we have the ministry of evangelism which is so wonderful and as we do that we become more effective we become more expectant that this person is going to give their life to, to Christ. There's no question about that. As I say, we could do a Bible study on that, but we won't. Uh, but what we 
perhaps we could do is we'll just look, I'll just take out one or two very specific short points from a, a four-series um, workshop that I sort of cobbled together a few years ago about how to share your faith, how to answer difficult questions, objections, etc. How do we answer that? And all the sort of things I've just been talking about. Um, and we'll do that in a particular way. But before we do, let me ask you a question. How many people have ever brought anyone to know Jesus Christ? Ever brought someone to Christ? Good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight or so. Out of us all. Now I'm going to be very brave. I wasn't brave enough at nine o'clock, but I'm going to be very brave now because you all look nice people and you've got smiles. How many of us have spoken about Jesus to a non-Christian this last week? Great. Praise the Lord. That's really good. How many have spoken about Jesus in this last month of April? Good. Not to the same person, mind you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's cheating. No, somebody else. Good. Well done. Well done, Kais. How many have spoken about Jesus to a non-Christian in the last year? Brilliant. It's our joy. It's our obligation. And it's the expectation that Jesus had of us. He says, go and preach the gospel. And preaching doesn't mean to say we've got to stand up here and doing what I'm trying to do. No, not at all. You just go and share the good news about Jesus Christ. That's, that's all he says. And it's not just to the twelve. If it was just to the twelve, then we wouldn't be sitting here now, would we? It's to all of us to share our belief, to share the gospel. And we continually see this, uh, particularly in, in the gospels, but also, of course, in our letters as well. It's our joy, as I say, it's our obligation. And it's the expectation that Jesus has on every single one of us. He's not all calling us to be evangelists like Billy Graham, but he is calling us all to share our faith with those who don't yet know him. There's no greater thing we can do. It's great to pray for people to be healed and see them healed, to see the deaf hear, to see back straightened, to see legs lengthened, to see the wonderful things that one can see if you have a courage to pray for them and expect but that pales into significance compared with the joy and the power of leading someone to give their lives to Christ and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light nothing more wonderful and it doesn't just boost their faith of course it boosts our faith too so why do we find it so difficult that's not a rhetoric question. I'm going to ask you that. Why do we find it so difficult? Any ideas? Embarrassed, Rob. Yeah. Why embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if they have one. Yeah, thanks Rob. Okay, any others? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, absolutely. Anybody agree with that one? Everyone agree with the one that Rob just offered? 
I do. Any others? Don't know how to start. Absolutely. That's so true. As I, as I just said just now, you see, Philip said to him, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, hadn't God been working in, in the eunuch's life, you know, before even Philip got there? He was reading Isaiah. He didn't have to. Bouncing around on his chariot with no springs. And he was reading Isaiah like that. I mean, that had to be God, didn't it? And Philip didn't say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your saviour? He said, do you understand what you're reading? And so this is knowing how to start. We need to learn how to turn a conversation gently around to how God and how Jesus can be the answer to that person's situation. Um, What I did many years ago when I was a young Christian, I sat down at my study desk for months, I think, because I really wanted to understand how does this whole message of salvation work? How does salvation work from beginning to end so that I can explain it, so that I can understand it, so that I can explain it, because I can't explain it if I don't understand it. And I worked it out and worked it out and worked it out and I studied the Bible and wrote it all down. And eventually I came up with um, what I call uh, the way of salvation. And it's a seven, it's a seven, simple seven step uh, process of God's interaction with man. Right from the very beginning, right from the love of God that he has for us, right down to the end where uh, we, are res- we are rescued. Um, I wrote down lots of relevant scriptures, and what I do, I mean, if I if I speak about these things, which I often have, I would always, um, you know, spend a few minutes on each. Uh, but I, you know, I haven't got that. But I have got the scriptures and this easy, simple seven-step plan, which could help us to uh, really understand that and get it um, into our minds. So I'll I'll put them at the back if anybody would like them. I've got a few here, um, because. What we can do, if we, if we know the basic, um, if we have a basic understanding of how all this works, we can then actually just shape it to his situation, to her situation, to that situation, um, and then think about how, how we, we do that. Uh, any, other, any other reasons why we find it so difficult? Sorry? Yes, it's a, a spiritual thing, yes. And they might be, you know, they, they, they might, you know, the things of the spirit are, are, are hard to um, convey to, to another person, especially one who doesn't uh, really want to have it conveyed, conveyed to them. Uh, you know, particularly, I think we probably all agree that we could get shot down in, well, this is another one. Uh, one, that, that one is about how we start. Another important one is really what I've just been talking about, which is um, we're frightened that we might get shot down in flames because we don't know how to answer a question. Isn't that... How, how many of us think that? You know, <coughs> terrified. Uh, if, and if somebody raises a very valid objection uh, or a very valid question, you know, if God is so loving, why does he allow, you know, that sort of thing. There's no more important question in, in life than that. And we need to know how to answer these things which is all the more reason why we need to grow in confidence and understanding our own faith. 
in understanding what we believe. Growing in confidence of that. Being sure of what we believe because we understand it. And as we talked about, how to apply that message um, to any human need. Um, I heard a senior MP on the television last uh, night saying, if the economy is to grow, it needs to invest. If a church is to grow, it needs to invest. What can a church invest in to make it grow? It's the same as a company invests in to make it grow as any business, as an army, as an economy. It's in training. We train. We train the church to grow. We train an army to be effective. We train a company to be effective. We train a church to be effective. We train, we train, we train. That's the way we release people to go out, send us out in the power of the Spirit to live and to work to your praise and glory. Send us out trained. Send us out confident. Send us out so we, we know how to answer these things or at least uh, give our, our opinion. It's a thought-out opinion. Trained to know how to pray to, for people to be healed and see them healed. Trained to know how to lead. Trained to know, to, to check on our own spiritual growth. Where are we with the Lord right now? Trained how to hear from God. From God. Trained about how to, uh, how to know God's ministry for us. What's he calling us to do? Trained to be baptised, filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Trained to use spiritual gifts. And trained, therefore, to be, to be a charismatic church. The investment the church with a capital C needs desperately is training, not the least in how to share our faith. You know that, well you probably don't know him, but that, that uh, tremendous uh, Victorian evangelist D.L. Moody, he said, you can only convert your friends. So let's just think of some friends. And um, have you ever... Have you, um, who's come across the, the Engel scale? Anyone ever come across the Engel scale? Oh, one or two of us. Um, James Engel was a senior executive in Billy Graham's uh, uh, evangelistic campaign. He was a, 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 a graduate uh, trainer. He trained graduates uh, from Billy Graham's university. And he produced a, you see, salvation is the process. He produced a series of stages, which when he originally produced it was quite complicated. Uh, I'm going to show you a, a simplified one. Um, which is just the same, but it incorporates all the more complicated ones. It's salvation being a process, he, uh, he worked out that different stages of any person um, in terms of their distance from God and their coming nearer to, to God. And um, it's... Uh, sometime ago, I, uh, I copied this out and wrote a few... Um, a few lines about what each of the stages might look like and um, it's, I said it's a process from indifference through awareness 
to interest, then commitment and growth. So if you, if you, if you see that, you see those, there are five stages up to the, the time that a person will give their lives to Christ. And then stages seven and eight are how we see them grow once they're in the, in, in the, the church. So while really we would spend an hour and a half or more doing this in any workshop, uh, let's spend about 10 minutes <laughs> going through each of these. So um, just keeping it on that slide, guys. Uh, stage one, ignorance of Christ. May be exposed but pays no attention. The sort of people who we have known probably for years, friends we've had for years, they know we're a Christian. Uh, we may even have spoken to them about the Lord. We've known them for decades, but they show no interest whatsoever. Anyone got any friends like that? I've got tons of friends like that. And in my regiment, when I'm up there, they will call me Vic, or hello Padre. (laughs) And in fact, actually talking about that, um, uh, not so long ago, I had a tremendous privilege of uh, doing the funeral of one of my regimental friends. A lovely, lovely guy, and he was a Christian. And he went to the garrison, Aldershot Garrison Church of Scotland, where I used to help out. Um, and it was built in the Victorian times for a lot of Highland regiments who came down to uh, Aldershot. Houses of about 450 people. It was packed with all of our regimental friends and lots of other Scots and uh, people who Gordon knew and who I knew. And I had this tremendous privilege of, of conducting his funeral. And... Um, because he was a Christian, I was particularly able in my sermon to, to tell them where Gordon had gone, you know, and what eternal life means, and how you know, we, need to, you know, we need to decide, etc. And then I saw one of my friends um, about two weeks later, I've known him since I was, was 20, and he said, Chris, he said, I thought you were trying to convert us. And I said, yes, I was. <laughs> but I've known him since our 20s. And he, he has no interest whatsoever. Lots of people, I'm sure, you know and I know. That's the people who are at stage one. And actually there is a thought also, which is very interesting, that says, if we have known someone for more than five years and they know we're a Christian and we haven't interacted in that way, if we've known them for more than five years, it's highly unlikely that they will ever give their lives to Christ. We need to concentrate on people where this is fresh and our relationship is, is fresh. So that's really stage one. Um, they have either not asked you about it or have not responded with interest if you put out a feeler. Stage two is awareness of Christ. You might, they might see Christ as an option. Uh, these could be the religious people. Uh, people who say, well, I, I have a faith. And may even, sadly, be people who go to church. And what we need to do is to, is to see them transfer from religion to relationship. I call religion habitual ritual. We just need to transfer them from religion to relationship with Jesus. It makes all the difference. And years and years ago, uh, I've kept this for years, I don't know, uh, but I've spoken to people about coming to know Jesus this is sort of stage, stage whatever we're at now. Two, three, four. The big square is God. That little square is, is us. Is, well, not us, a, a person. And they may or may not be putting a feeler out to God. In fact, I could do another one of these without that little line there. 
And that would be about stage four or five. That's knowing about God, but not knowing God. And I don't know how many hundreds of times I've said to people, there's an eternity of difference between knowing God and knowing about God. There's an eternity of difference. What God's plan for us is that, hid with Christ in God. That's what he wants. And that's what he's called us to do. That's what he's called us to to share uh, with these people. That God has a place in his heart and his life at that banqueting table for them. Uh, I met a lady last year. She was really quite into the new age and she had crystals and books about angels and all that sort of thing there. And um, I got to know her a little bit. And I spoke to her about Jesus on a number of occasions and said, she was a spiritual person. So she was open. And she was open to Jesus in a way I thought, this is going to be really good. She's going to give her life to Christ. But eventually she got to about sort of stage, stage five or whatever. And she said, no, she's, because she said, well, I'll, I'll still go to my seances. And I'll still go uh, to, 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 the, to the medium events and I'll still go to the spiritualist church. But Jesus is my, he, he's my helper as well. I said, you, you can't do that. And she couldn't understand that. She said, oh no. She said, you can't say that, that um, speaking with the dead is wrong. You, know, you can't say crystals don't help. You can't say that tarot and spirit guides are wrong. Somebody emailed me last week, not from here, and said, what do you think about this... Um, hypnotherapy uh, therapy for me would you have a look at the website uh, I just looked at it hypnotherapy is, is that's alright it's just a, a way of relaxing, relaxing but you look at all the other things which they're into tarot reading angels stuff and I said do not touch it she became this lady came so near and they're the sort of people, the spiritual people who need to see they need to make that transition that's stage two Stage three, understanding of Christ, knowing what Christ means. They have heard the gospel message probably more than once and basically understand it. Uh, They are aware, at least intellectually, of the implications of the gospel as it relates to man's eternal destiny, to heaven and hell. And that takes a lot of coming to terms with. That again is knowing about, possibly, uh, but not knowing, but actually not actually knowing. It's a big leap. This is a big leap because at that stage we need to apply it to us. If you're anything like me, back in 1973, uh, on the 6th of June, when I gave my life to Christ, um, it was as if there was this dark chasm. There was, there was Jesus up there and there was me here and between us was this, this bottomless chasm in the dark and I had to take a massive sprint from there and try, and however much... I, however fast I run, I was going to go down the chasm. And it's, it's, at that stage, it's a mighty leap for people. And we have to be ever so sensitive with them. And what I say to them, well, actually, what you'll find is that when you've made that leap, you'll find that Jesus was that far away. Paper thin. He was right there next to you, face to face with you. So that's stage three. Stage four is they become personally involved with Christ and they start to see what Christ could do for me. They begin to see how they 
personally fit in God's plan. Uh, this is where we always meet them where they're at. This is why we need to, to know and understand how we can apply God to their situation, their situation, their situation. Really work it out. And I, Oh, for years I used to lie in bed in, in the evening thing. Now, if somebody asked me this, or if that was somebody's problem, or that was, how would I answer it? And I would work them all out in my head and probably um, write them down uh, after that. Um, it's, it's just so effective to do because they will see how Jesus applies to them. Happened only recently, a lovely lady, um, a partner in a massive firm in their uh, Manchester branch, um, had everything. She said, I have everything. that I have lots of money, I have a big house, a lovely family, but, uh, and a fantastic job, but I just know there's something there. And she was on a retreat, and, and Fran and I were on a retreat at Ampleforth Abbey in Yorkshire. And I said to her, would you like to just meet or chat about this? And she said, yes, I would. And in the crypt of Ampleforth Abbey, I could just explain to her how actually that gap was Jesus and how the peace and the fulfillment, etc., could be hers. And I said, would you like to know that? Would you like to give your life to him? She said, yes, I would. And she's going great guns. We need to apply the gospel to people's individual situations, not to ours. It's a good thing to share the gospel, uh, to sort of share our own experience where it's relevant, but not where it's not relevant. Try and apply it to... To, to, to them. So now, stage five is the point before possible conversion, where a seeker often hesitates. They need sensitive but clear and firm help in making a decision. What we may need to do at that point is to very gently just repeat what we said to them before. Um, and then we show them how to make a commitment, just like in Acts. It says, Sirs, what shall we do? And then Peter explained to them. But what I say is to them, um, if you like, you know, w- w- would you would you would you like to give your life to Christ now? I'm always gobsmacked when they say yes. Um, I say, well, either you can say a prayer yourself, and I give them an idea as to what they could say because they probably won't, they may have never prayed before, or um, I say, if you like, I will say a prayer, and then you can repeat it after me. But it's not my prayer; it's your prayer, and you know they choose normally the, the latter. Um, I won't give you any more examples, but <clears throat> what we need to do when we've done that, immediately they've given their lives to Christ. What a precious time. It's you and them. And Jesus. <laughs> God, Lord. What we need to do then when they made this transition, they made that leap and they've actually found that it's only there. What we need to do then immediately is to reassure them, to tell them what they've done. Now you've been transferred from darkness to light. Now you belong to Jesus. Now you're a child of God. You're living in eternal life now. We're not waiting for it to happen when you die. You're living in eternal life now. And what I always do, the next day, I write them a letter. Uh, and I write them an encouraging letter saying, this is what you've done, you know. And look at this scripture. And, and this, is, this is what I suggest you do now to really firm up your faith. Tell somebody. In fact, I tell them that when I'm with them before I write the letter. I say, tell somebody. 
in this next, this next 24 hours, go and tell somebody. Tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your boss, tell your friend. But tell somebody, ring them up, tell your sister. That, we're nailing our colours to the mast. That makes a big difference. And then I write them this letter to encourage them. And then what we need to be doing is just nurturing them on uh, after that. Uh, you know, they, are, they become a child of Christ because we have brought them to birth. And we just need to be nurturing them and encouraging them then um, to, to, un- to understand the scriptures again and to understand what they've done. And then, as I said earlier, to train them to go out and bring that. That's dynamic. That's the dynamism that the church with a capital C should be. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous privilege. And God has divine appointments for us all. He's got divine appointments lined up for you and for me. Right out there. Oh, and one, one last thing. Can we just go on to the third slide, uh, Will? Next one. If anybody would like a copy, by the way, of, of this, of the Angle Seals, just do email me, let me know, I won't be around for the next week and a half. But if anybody would like uh, a copy of that, think of five friends and uh, put them down there and, and put where they might be on the Engel scale. Where do you think that eunuch was on the Engel scale? I would say he was probably four, three, four. But after Philip had spoken to him, he was, he was five and six. So put down and pray for those. Those who are, we just feel, we sense they're the most open. That would be the Holy Spirit prompting you. Put them down, pray for them. And let's make our mission to bring them along that line. To unity with Christ, to loving him. It's a privilege. It's a joy. As I say, the opportunities are right here before us now. They're here. And the great thing is, as I said before, we, if we take the first, if we do the first time, God will open up another opportunity next time and again and again and again until we grow in confidence. What a privilege, what a joy. As that old African proverb says, if not now, when? If not me, 